Welcome to Surfcast. Thank you for joining me. My guest today is author Alan Arnold. Now, the skinny of it all, and what you really need to know about this guy is he likes big blue oceans, black coffee, hot salsa, and big ideas. I guess if you move from Nashville to Colorado, you know, salsa's got to fit somewhere in the mix. The cool thing about this guy is he just released a brand new book called Chaos Camp. Now, if you remember anything about Surfcast episodes in the past and about me kind of musing back and forth about a TEDx talk I did in 2019, I talked about the very idea of impacting chaos. I just finished this book. So for starters, you need to go buy the book. Secondly, enjoy this conversation with my new friend, Alan Arnold, as we talk about ways in which you can survive, thrive, and make it through the chaos of life. We'll be right back with this conversation with Alan. Alan, welcome to Servecast, man. Where are you at when we're doing this interview today? Thanks, William. I'm in Colorado Springs, and there's still a little bit of snow on the ground, and I can see Pikes Peak from the window, and so uh, it's a beautiful day. Colorado Springs. I guess most folks want to go there at some point in their life, right? Now, you guys just recently moved, uh, you and your family recently moved from Nashville to Colorado Springs? Well, it was about nine years ago, so... Uh, it, in some ways it feels recent and in some ways it feels like forever ago, but I was in Nashville as a publisher at Thomas Nelson. Oh, okay. And so that's where I was before I came here. Now, some of the books that you've had your hand on, um, you actually, I read your, I, I want to tell you this, I'm not just doing an interview with you for this book. I actually read the book in its entirety and, uh, had a lot of fun with it, but, uh, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge and some different authors who have some of the folks you've worked with in the past. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, my career was about a 20-year career in the publishing world. First 10 years in nonfiction. And second 10 years, I started a fiction division, founded that, and was the publisher. So the authors span the book, span Billy Graham, Max Licato, uh, Charles Swindoll, um, John MacArthur, uh, all the way to, on the nonfiction side, Frank Peretti and Ted Decker, and uh, it was, we, when we did fiction, we did about 500 novels in a decade. So it was every type of book from fiction, from suspense to romance to teen fiction. Yeah. So now, is this your first book or your, have you written other books before this one? It's my second. And so exactly. while I was a publisher and in the fiction world and nonfiction, ironically, I was not publishing my own books. But since then, I've written two. The first is the story of with W I T H. And it's an allegory on how do we pursue our creativity with God? Yeah. It's a roadmap. And then chaos can't just came out and uh, it felt like an important book to write because so many people were being taken out by the chaos in their life. Now, when we talk about chaos, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a term that's been around for a long time, but I guess in the last 10 years, 15 years or so is when it's kind of really, put some legs to it in 2020 and now 2021, my goodness. I mean, it's just ongoing and ongoing. Give us a, a quick, usable, workable um, starting definition for the word chaos as we delve into this conversation. Yes. Well, I couldn't find a great one when I was writing the book in the dictionary. It's a pretty surface definition. Most dictionaries will define chaos as a state of utter confusion or disorder. And while that's true, 
I write in the book, like that described me all through high school and college math classes and science. Like I was utterly confused, but I wasn't chaotic. And so I came up with my own definition of chaos, William, and here's what it is. Chaos is a destructive, fear-based force that prevents us from fully living. It comes against us through intensely personal strikes that are meant to take us out and leave us empty. So that was my kind of redefining of chaos because it isn't generic. It isn't random most of the time. Most of the time, it feels personal, the attacks, the ways it comes for each of us because it is personal. And I believe that's because the enemy is using chaos in customized ways to cut us off at the knees. Mm-hmm. I mentioned to you earlier, you know, that I did a uh, I did a TEDx talk in 2019 on the topic of impacting chaos inside the mind of a school bus driver. In my mm-hmm. early life, I was a, uh, a school bus driver here in the town where I live now. And and um, so I introduced three students in that talk, and I, I began the conversation with a quote from business leader Marco Trotsky. And Mark says that that um, chaos is out there, and chaos is opportunity. You know, so you wrote a book, Chaos Can't. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about this idea of where where is chaos right now? You give a great definition to it. You know, people are just man, they're just labored down with fear right now in our world, but. But what do we need to know from a biblical perspective? Because chaos by itself defined as a lack of order, right? Whereas the neighborhood, if you expand it, entropy is defined as disorder. So, you know, entropy is where the systems fail, where cars crashes, where conveyor belts, you know, um, where Lucy loses all the chocolate on the conveyor belt. We'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, Uh that moves from chaos to entropy. So tell me, how do we face this in the world we're living in right now? And what do we need to know about how we can actually deal with chaos rather than letting chaos deal with us on an internal perspective? Does that make sense? It's a great question. Yes. And and I would say the very first, I'll give a couple of steps just so people can think through this in in a logical kind of order. To me, the first thing is we cannot be caught off guard by chaos. We can't assume the day should go according to our to-do list or perfectly smooth. And I think most of us kind of know that, William, but we don't live that way. We wake up each day and we want the day to go according to our plans. And we want there to be peace and we want there to be order. And yet Jesus tells us in John 16, he's so clear. I'm gonna read this one verse, but it's, it's a couple of sentences all in one verse. And Jesus says, I'm telling you these things so that you may have peace. That's how he begins. And you think, awesome, I could use some peace. I need some peace. But then the very next thing he says is, in this world, you will have trouble. And I think we could substitute the word chaos fairly there. In this world, you will have trouble or chaos, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what Jesus, I think in a very kind way is saying, I'm telling you this so you won't be caught off guard. And I'm not telling you this to panic you. Just know you live in a world of chaos, but you can take heart or you can not lose heart because why? Not because of our own strength or not because tomorrow a new politician is going to make the world right, but because Jesus has overcome the world. Our hope is in him. And I believe when he said, I've overcome the world, 
he's not talking about just today or some future event. He's talking about from creation all the way to now, all the way to the rest of the story. Jesus is an eternal overcomer, and there's never been a form of chaos he has not overcome. So that's where we start is in this world, you'll have trouble. Don't be caught off guard. Don't become reactive. Number two, we don't have to let it in. We have a choice. The external chaos does not have to be an excuse for us to become more chaotic. Because if we become spun up, if we become shut down, we're no longer good for our family, our friends, our kingdom, our church. Whatever God's given us is our realm of authority or responsibility. When we're spun up or shut down, we actually start to become the very thing we want to have less of. Okay. And you can't defeat something that you're becoming more like, right? Exactly. So those are the, if you want to look at two things to begin, begin there. Don't be caught off guard and know that you don't have to let the external chaos in. Those are just two beginning steps that will start you in a whole new trajectory for the day. Okay, so let's say, you know, people, there, there are people who are people of faith, right? And then there's people who, for whatever reason, they don't believe the way that you and I probably believe. And, um, you know, you talk about this and on page 121, I'm gonna read a quote from the book. This is not sufficient for everyone. They should go buy the book still and should read it. But here's a great quote from the book. In the first rebellion, the enemy chose life without God. He's been trying to get the rest of creation to make that same choice ever since. So you kind of allude to and talk about this idea that chaos, um, you know, is out there. Chaos is in opposition to us. Chaos desires to move from the external to the internal, you know, um, and then you talk about Lucifer's fall from heaven. You talk about the whole idea of, you know, why now that Satan, the enemy, the offender, the opposition, you know, um, right. the darkness versus the light is all designed or, or the pursuit of the enemy is to cause now not only himself and the angels that fell with him, but all of creation to come against the creator, right? To come against God. It's almost like you had a, a view into 2020 when you wrote this book without maybe having a view into 2020 that wrote this book. Based on that and the, the, the deep history that you take us through on this definition of chaos, why did you think that writing a book like this right now is so important to us? Yeah, I get it. Don't, don't, don't be caught off guard. Don't let it in. But there's a deeper story here, Alan. Why right. at your stage in life are you talking about this and writing this book for all of us to read? Well, the first reason why is I, I really try to take an approach as a writer to write where God leads me. Okay. And so I used to remember for 20 years, I was in the publishing world and there was this regimented calendar almost of an author writes a book once a year or every half year sometimes for novelists. But I decided from that 20 year period, if I ever were to write a book, I'd only write when I had something to say hmm. and not based on a formula. And I really felt God leading me into these waters back in 2017 I was going to speak to several hundred people and the person I was going to speak with who I had orchestrated the talk around, they were doing about 60%. They at the last minute literally said, I can't come. And I didn't know whether to cancel the event or continue. And I prayed and I heard God since God say, yes, keep it, but you're going to now talk about chaos. 
And I had never planned that or thought about that. And I had three days to get it done. And that was three years ago. And so God's had me on this journey for three years, long before we really heard about chaos in the news very much, of researching it and looking into it and trying to understand not what is our view of chaos, meaning humanity, but what is God's view of chaos? Because I knew there had to be a way to navigate chaotic times that God wanted to train us in, not just for us to scramble like chickens with our heads cut off. And so that's what began my journey of the book was, is there a way to be chaos free in a world of chaos? And my answer had to be, let me look at God's interpretation of chaos, not, not the local news, the national news, not you know what my neighbor says or what I think, but what does God say about chaos? And what was the coolest thing, and this blew me away, the coolest thing is, I thought, God, surely you say something about chaos in the Bible. And he said, start at the beginning. Yeah. And Genesis 1-1, he identifies himself, we all know the verse, as creator in the beginning God created. And Genesis 1-2, he teaches us the very first lesson of scripture. The very first thing he does, I believe, like a sage would do to show his students is what? It's God's spirit going into the empty void, this murky darkness, and Hebrew scholars would say that was chaos. And so God, in the second verse of the Bible, says, follow me. He goes into chaos, and what does he do? He doesn't get fearful. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't shut down. What God does is in Genesis 1-3, he starts by creating. So the very first thing we see God do, he says, I'm a creator. I go into chaos and in it, I bring light and beauty and order from the disorder. So it was an amazing revelation to me as, as God started to show me, chaos isn't something we have to be confused by. It isn't something we have to be fearful of. God as our father shows us as his sons and daughters, how to enter into the chaos in our world and he says, come with me, go into your realm of authority where there's chaos and bring beauty, life, and order from it. Mm -hmm. So that's what, man, when I read that and God revealed that, I was like, I feel like I'm a hero on a hero's journey, kind of the quest of now I want to discover more. So I looked at Jesus, how Jesus responded to chaos, the Holy Spirit, the stories in scripture, like there was a blueprint all through scripture of in a world that we will have trouble in, from the very beginning, Genesis forward, we read how God is constantly overcoming chaos. Mm -hmm. So I get that God can overcome chaos, but yet you're also saying and suggesting that together we can create or co-create with God and we can also overcome the, the, the chaos. So in your book, you talk about, I think there's, I think the, the number was five kind of five typical ways that humanity approaches chaos or deals with chaos, right? Or, or how we right. typically respond to chaos. Talk to us about that. And then earlier on, you were like, you know, okay, don't let the chaos become internal. Okay, Alan, how in the world do we do that? How do we prevent this chaos from, you know, um, becoming something that is so normal for us that not only do we embrace it, we almost 
look forward to it, right? Some people, their badge of honor is the more chaos, right? And I'm right. simply thinking, wait a minute, you're talking about the badge of honor is total dependency upon God so that the divine order that he originally orchestrated can become the everyday norm for us. You see what I'm saying? We're caught yes. in this, this uh, right. hamster wheel almost, right? So talk right. to us about typical ways we respond to it. How should we respond to it? And how do we prevent it from sidelining us, putting us on the sideline? Right. Well, so typical responses. This is important because I think if we don't examine our own life, we just become reactive. We just wonder why things never change. And we, the reason is because we keep doing the same thing. And so the typical response is one, when chaos hits, we just decide to wait it out. We basically think, man, I want things to get back to normal, but I'm just going to wait. Things are too crazy right now to pursue my dreams, to do anything. That does never, that does not work. It never does because passivity is never the solution or the antidote. Second, we deny it's a big deal. We go, yeah, things may not be great, but man, in history, it's been worse than this perhaps at different times. And, and who am I to complain? And so, you know, I'm just going to keep my hopes low, my head down and just kind of get through it because it's not a big deal. It's just life. It's just the way life is. What, what can you do? That doesn't work, obviously, either. Third, we try to decrease chaos by gaining control of our small story. So you see this in a lot of men. You see this in a lot of people, uh, women as well. But I'll speak as a man. Um, you know, I used to see when my story would get smaller, when outside pressure would come, I would try to resort to controlling what I could. and that's not ever the answer because honestly, you know, it's letting fear in and we start to suffocate the people around us, our employees, our coworkers, our kids, our wife, our spouse, whoever it may be, because we're in this, well, if I can't control the chaos, I'll control my life in micro ways. Doesn't work. Number four, we try to wage war with chaos and we try to fight chaos with chaos and again, we can't defeat something by becoming more like it. So that doesn't work. And fifth, the last one I would say, and this is kind of the worst case, is we see some people who shift over to, wow, I can really profit from chaos. I can, I can try to make my gain through the pain and the craziness of the world. And so they become agents of chaos in a sense. They they try to, it's like maximize their own well-being through the chaos of others. But we see in Hosea really clear, this verse says, we sow the wind and we reap the whirlwind. In other words, we think, if we ever think we can be the king of chaos, I say in the book, it's like riding on the back of a tiger thinking we're the victor and the tiger knows actually we're his lunch chaos will devour us. We think we can control chaos. Some people, uh, we see this all the way from politics to social unrest. But when we think we can control chaos and we start wielding it as a weapon, quickly that weapon turns on us because chaos is not the way forward. So those are the five wrong ways, I believe, to respond to chaos. And so 
if you look at that and you put yourself in maybe one of those categories, or you might have another, but whether you're passive or aggressive or angry or shutting down or spun up, whatever it may be, there's a better way. None of those lead to overcoming chaos. So what I did in the book was I looked at what does God invite us into? Like, right, don't be surprised, number one. Right, don't let it in, number two. But the really exciting part comes, and what you were asking me, William, the really exciting part comes in step three, what I would call step three, which is a big, it's like the 102 version, not the 101 version of how to react to chaos. And that is, let's follow God's lead. God in Genesis 1, 1, and 2 shows us the way to overcome chaos. He didn't pull out a sword and start swinging at the empty void. He didn't just try to shout it down and yell it through and say, I'm God, behave yourself, you know, quit the chaos. He actually did something quite unexpected, I believe, quite unique. He said, I'll step into the empty void places and I'll create oceans and plains and mountains and trees and, and stallions and hummingbirds and humanity. And so he uses, and people miss this, I miss this for so long. His response to chaos was creativity out of love. It was creativity and it was the best creativity that's ever been. I mean, he created all the things we love, the I have a picture of an ocean behind me uh, with waves. He created the oceans. He created the things that make our world beautiful from an empty void place. And then he says, I believe now this is your invitation. In the world you live in, in this moment in time, you follow my lead. And so I spend the last third of the book or so with a very detailed way of how to enter into, how to discover your creativity, because a lot of people believe the lie that they're not creative. And how do I know they're creative? Well, they have the creator's DNA in them. We have God's DNA in us. He breathed life into us. So how could we not have creativity in us when the creator is the one that formed us and knit us into being? A lot of people just don't know they're creative or they don't know how to use their creativity. But I believe we can use that as a weapon of light, as a weapon of love, as a response to the disorder around us. And so the last part of the book is really a training ground of, right, we don't like the chaos around us. Right, we wish it would go away. But God says, don't sit on the sidelines and wish it would go away. Get off the bench and use your gifting, use your talent, use your passions to change the world around you. So that's that's really what the book is, is it defines what's going on, but then it's an invitation to be part of the change. We can be change agents instead of chaos agents. You, you drop three, uh, you drop uh, six words. You drop six words, pretty cool. And I like them. Eyes on God, not the chaos. Eyes on God, not the chaos. Okay, yes. Alan, come on, man. This is a, a very, you know, spiritually deficient world. At the same time, it's an incredibly Christian-focused society right now. That's great. That's a great phrase for preacher types, you know. It would make a wonderful message or a great devotion. 
for the person who's listening to this, who's sitting in, in the middle of chaotic world, they have no idea how they got there. They have no idea how to get out of there. You know, and you talk about in your personal story, and I'm not going to allude to this because I want people to buy the book and read it for themselves. But you talk about, you know, your family and your wife and your, I guess you, you had one daughter or two daughters. I can't remember. I have two sons and one daughter. Two sons and one daughter. You talk about trips to school, you know, you talk about your own chaos and, and how that you are corrected, you know, by your, by your wife in, in, in loving ways. How in the world do people do what you say? Eyes on God, not the chaos. For somebody who doesn't even know that they believe in this creator we're talking about. How do they make that shift to say, there's got to be something better than what I'm sitting in the middle of? Does that make sense? It does. It does. I think if some, you know, for the person listening who doesn't believe in God, I would just ask, how is your world working for you right now? Good question. Because, I mean, you have to start somewhere. And, and I know for me, uh, I believed in God even years ago, but I was a very productive, hard-driving man who thought it was all up to me. And I go through that in my first book, The Story of With. I, I share a little bit of that journey, but I was the guy that would, I had a fortune cookie saying on my desk, which is a bad way to, you know, that, <laughs> put a scripture on your desk, not a fortune cookie saying, but <laughs> this one said, the one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one already doing it. Yeah. And man, I lived by that. I was like, I'll be the last guy standing. Don't tell me it can't happen. Yeah. And it was a very independent life and a very small story, even though I was successful at that until I imploded. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, if you don't believe in God, just ask yourself, how is a life without a belief of God working for you? And my guess is you're turning to other things for relief because you have to have relief, whether that's alcohol or whether that's things on the internet or whether that's success or money or fame or whatever, whatever the validation is, you know, deep down, it's not working. So what I would say is, why don't you ask the creator of this world that you find yourself in the story? If you're real, show me. And if I'm really your son or daughter, then reach out and make that clear to me. And, and try that journey, because there is no other answer to chaos. There's really no other answer. There's either you're going to follow God, or you're going to be consumed by chaos, hmm. because that's not my, like, that's not my point of view. That's scripture. That's, that's the way God has made this world. It's either we choose life, or we choose a path that leads to death. And I want people listening the problem is even the people that choose life then get sucked into the chaos. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking whether you've ever given God a chance or whether you're a lifelong Christian, if you're living with too much chaos, there is a better way. And the better way is to keep our eyes on God. I know that sounds like a, a nice bumper sticker, but let's look at the story of Peter when he was in the boat in the raging waters around him. And a lot of people think Jesus invited him to step out. But when you read the passage closely, Peter's the one that said, I want to come out. I want to come out of the boat, the safety of the boat. I want to walk on water like you are, Jesus. And so Peter steps out and he actually is doing it. He's taking a step on the water. He's not sinking. 
But what happens is when he takes his eyes off Jesus and he puts his eyes on the water below him, the chaos below him, we know what the story, he starts to sink. And Jesus's response is, faint heart, what got into you? Mm. In other words, as Jesus is pulling him out, he's saying something got into you, Peter. What got into you that caused you to sink? And the answer is fear. And the fear that Peter had when he looked at the chaos below him overcame him. He let it in. And so what I'm saying is when we keep our eyes, our thoughts, our, our being, our heart set on God, then we can enter a storm. We can face a giant like David did, and we don't have to tremble and we don't have to let fear in because scripture is really clear. We're told, do not fear. We're told to be anxious for nothing. Right. I think our modern world wants to kind of twist that and go, well, yeah, that's, I get that verse. That's nice. But who wouldn't fear or be anxious in a world like this? And we, we try to really water down the scripture, but God is clear. We, we can choose love over fear. Mm-hmm. And when we choose love, we, I, I hear, I'll be honest in the book, I confess this. I used to think, man, if it was a street fight between fear and love, love's going to get its butt kicked every time Mm -hmm. because fear is a, is a much stronger, meaner, uh, player than love, but that's a wrong person. That's a wrong impression of love. Love is not all sugary, sweet teddy bears and ice cream and, you know, um, sugar love is what God is. God is love. And love is stronger and greater than anything else. And so if you want to start changing your day and your perception, realize every decision you make is love or fear-based. Fear leads to chaos. Fear will let chaos in. Fear can look like rage, passivity, aggression, offense, irritation, um, impatience. Fear can be any of those things, but it's different than love. So we have to make a choice every day, a really practical choice, or we're going to enter the day with eyes on God and operating out of love and refusing to let the chaos that's outside in, or are we going to be a victim? And if we're a victim, the enemy can just keep taking us out right. minute by minute. Good stuff. Good stuff. I, I like how you talk about, you know, this, this shift in this whole idea of a creation where God you know, the enemy seeks to take us out, to set us aside, and God continually calls us back into the recreated, the recreated, the recreated order. 1977, that was a long time ago, 1977. That's a real date on the calendar, right? I was in a middle school in um, South Georgia, or middle Georgia, and I was friends with the janitor, and I would always go by the janitor's closet and Zorro would be watching. I would watch Zorro from the hallway instead of going to Mr. Harrell's um, uh, high school hi- or, or middle school history class. I would go to the to the janitor's closet and watch Zorro. Right. So in your book, you talk about the the master will of Zorro. Um, for those who don't know who this is, Google it. I guess you can Google it and you can find it. But take us through. We got a few minutes left on this episode, um, Alan. Take us through this kind of eleven step or this circle of Zorro, you know, he's on this, in this circle and 
and life exists in the circle. A lot yeah. of people are stuck in the circle. Take us through, get some people that might be on the hamster wheel in chaos, get them out of that mix, get them where they need to be, and let's land this plane for a few minutes, okay? That'd be great. Yeah, in the book, um, I talk about, there's this great quote in the movie, The Mask of Zorro, that had Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins, and the younger man, Antonio Banderas, he found the person that had killed his friends, and he was in a bar, he was, I'd been drinking too much, but he was wanting revenge. So he sees these enemies in the street and he gets up and he's about to try to fight. And the older sage, the older Zorro, basically trips him uh, and keeps him there in place. And he says, you would have fought bravely and died quickly. And that verse or that quote really stood out to me because I don't know, that had been my approach to chaos. I was fighting, I felt like for the right things, but I didn't know how, and it was taking me out. I was losing heart. I was uh, just feeling like at the end of the day, just give me relief, just get me, um, you know, I just need to shut down because it's hard to make it through a world that's constantly in chaos. And I was fighting bravely and dying quickly on the inside. <laughs> So what I did, what I decided to do was say, God, take me through a process. Take me through what does it look like to go in training to be an agent of change, not an agent of chaos. And so in the movie, The Mask of Zorro, they have this thing called the master's will. And in it, the older sage Zorro trains the younger Zorro on how to fight bravely and live, how to make it through. But the problem in the movie's version is they're going, they're moving inward because he's training him for revenge. In my book, we start in the center and I take people outward because I'm training people for life, not for revenge, but for life. And so I take you through these 11 layers that are each just a couple of pages. It's not heavy, it's not hard, but it is essential and it's training. How do you become an agent of change? So the very first circle, the center circle, we can't go through all 11 here, but I would say the first one people need to know is with. That means we have to start this journey with God. If we try to do it in our own strength, if we try to do it in our own cunning, if we think that we're smart enough or powerful enough, it won't work. So the very beginning center is, am I going to do this journey with God? or in my own strength. And then I take people step by step by step by step throughout it. And by the last level, the goal is now enter into the world around you, your realm of authority. Because if you, if you try to do it in your own strength, you'll fail. But if you don't know your gifting, it's hard to, it's hard to make an impact in the world if you don't know the gifts God's given you and if you don't know the purpose, and if you don't know the way to do that. So it really is intriguing, I think. It really is. I look at it like a training ground. Um, one of the things within it is weapons of light. As we get near the end, I talk to people, and, and some people don't like the word weapons, but you know, in Scripture, we're told, put on the armor of God. Sure. And what is a weapon of light? Well, to me, it's your gifting wielded in the right way. 
And so whether you're a teacher, a barista, a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, a podcaster, an author, a coach, whatever you are, how do you wield your gifting in a way that brings light to the world? And the reason that's a level, one of the levels, is because when God created the very first thing he did was say, let there be light. And the wild thing is he wasn't talking about the sun. He didn't create the sun at that moment. The light was his light, his light from his holiness and his presence. And so what is your weapon of light? What is my weapon of light? We have to know that as we enter a dark world. And we do that. I give a new definition of creativity. And let me just read that to you. God-infused creativity uses our presence, who we are, and our gifting, what we do, to bring something new into existence in a way that changes people and the atmosphere for good. You can do that as a stay-at-home parent. You're changing the atmosphere around you for your children by who you are and how you respond to them. You do that as a podcaster through the words that go into the air. We bring beauty and life in order. So those are just two of the levels of the 11. I don't want to overwhelm people, but you start in the center with God, and then I walk you through. And in the end, the invitation is make something beautiful. Do something beautiful in this world, not just to be nice, but to transform the chaos in your realm into calm, into beauty, into life, into order. And I really believe when people do this, you know, when we individually look at the world and go, it's overwhelming, it's too much. But God, for each of us, is saying, here's your part, here's your part, here's your part. And if we would all start to do that in unique ways and our gifting, the world would look different tomorrow. Yeah. Because, because God does not want the external chaos that's ravaging so many people, that's destroying so many things, that's coming against our dreams and our hopes. God doesn't want the chaos here, but he's created a story in a world where he invites us to be part of the process. Yeah. And so some people want it all to change because the calendar changes. Mm -hmm. Oh, 2020 was so hard. I can't wait for 2021. But change doesn't come from a new day on a calendar. Yeah. Change doesn't come from an, a president or a politician. I mean, you know, real change comes through God and his transforming power. And we are invited into that. And that's the real story that we're in. So if we want to be part of the change, if we want to see the chaos push back, God is saying, right, come with me on that journey and be part of the process. Mm -hmm. He initiates us in chaos just for fun just for fun alan um i let me back up and say this first man i really appreciate this conversation with you because i think it provides us with at least a roadmap you know a roadmap to be able to identify how we can approach the chaos you know because chaos isn't going to go away it just isn't i mean it's going to be with us for the long haul it's part of the reality of the created order i think and so right. um you know um, yeah, sure, it's hijacked by the enemy and all of those things, but it's not going to go away. We have to walk through it. We got to deal with it. We got to do all of that. Um, so thank you for this timely word for 2021 for people who, you know, have found themselves loving 2021 and hating it the moments after they discovered it. You know? <laughs> um, but what, what do you do for fun? Okay, big, big blue oceans, 
black coffee and don't know anything about that. I don't drink coffee, hot sauce. Oh, I love it. We can do the hot sauce thing. Big ideas. We'll talk about one of those when we close this episode today, but what do you do for fun? What fuels Alan Arnold to be able to keep doing what he's doing for good? Well, what fuels me, I, I love everything about the ocean. And I was just talking to a friend about this the other day. The color blue brings me life, the sound of the waves, the scent of the ocean. And so when I'm, and, and I live in Colorado, so I'm not near the ocean. I was about but, to say that, yeah. Yeah, it, but when that's why I have this painting behind me. But when I get to the ocean, it's so life-giving. And so what brings me life is great conversations, Yeah. right? I love story. I always have. So I'm rereading right now a, a kind of a classic C.S. Lewis. Everybody knows he wrote Narnia, yeah. but he wrote this other thing called the Space Trilogy. Yeah. And it goes into creation. I mean, it, it takes it's 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 a mind bending read. And if you haven't read it yet and, and you're open to something that will stretch you, the Space Trilogy is it, it's a, it's amazing. And it's the least read thing that C.S. Lewis has written, I think. So I'm rereading that right now. That gives me life. What gives me life is orienting to the true story we find ourselves in. Yeah. Um, because instead of the, so I've, I've really quit watching a lot of the news at night because it's meant to create fear and to keep you glued to the screen. Yeah. And, and that's not, I don't think great for my heart. So I get my news in bite-sized pieces from the right sources, but I don't, uh, I don't let fear into my home. Sure. And Salsa and coffee. Let me just say, I'm going to convert you one day, William, to I'm going to give you a really good cup of coffee when we're together. Uh, but but salsa, I, you know, chips are optional for me. Uh, <laughs> I just drink salsa. I will drink salsa like, you know, water. Unreal. And, uh, Unreal. My, I, I, I buy salsa from the local store and I don't, I'm with you. I don't even have to have chips. And we actually... <laughs> put it into an old orange juice bottle and I've been known to hold this bottle up and look at my family and like drink the salsa. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. We're your kindred spirits, man, for sure. You got it. You got it. Big ideas. What's what's next for Alan Arnold? Big idea. Yeah. I think with big ideas, God is always bringing us into fresh terrain. Yeah. And so one of the worst things we can do is get stuck in the status quo. And so to me, I'm just, and when I talk about big ideas, I'm saying, how do I put myself in a position where my mind is stimulated to the new? Yeah. So it's going to new restaurants, it's listening to new music, it's walking around the block in a different path, it's finding ways to not do the same thing over and over again. And what I'm convinced, so this is what I'm working on now, is the toxicity of formula in our lives. And, and, we, and we all find things we like to do and kind of get, you know, in a pattern. But what I believe, especially in times like this, William, is a big idea is wake up and let go of the way you always do each day yeah. and actually have a childlike wonder and say, God, I give you this day. I, my to-do list I set aside. Yes, I'm going to have to do some things, but I want you to surprise me with awe and wonder Mm -hmm. and take me somewhere new. And when he does that, I find I'm a better man. I'm a better husband, a better father, because I realize life is so much bigger than I thought it was. And I don't have to operate 
in a formulaic way because God is the most anti-formula being there's ever been. Sure. God does not approach us with formula. God does not expect us to be robotic or, or to just get stuck. Yeah. So I believe that's why when Jesus told the disciples, you know, before they were known as disciples, he walks up to the fisherman and says, follow me. And he doesn't really tell them where he's going. He yeah. doesn't really tell them it's a four-year or three-year or five-month program. He doesn't give them a clue. He just says, follow me. Right. And they drop their nets and they do. And they enter into the story of danger, wonder, wildness, trueness. And so that's what my kind of quest right now is, is Good. how do I continually approach my life as a new creation and, and avoid formula and the status quo and the same old, same old, wherever I can, because right. he's living water. He's not a static pool. And so one of the things I, I tour the country talking to people saying, if you want to get out of the baby pool, there's a real invitation to go into uncharted water but it's safe in the baby pool and you know you can walk out and it's only knee deep but if you want adventure you've got to go with god into the uncharted waters where there is no formula or no guarantee and that's really to me the most freeing thing in the world it's exciting and we don't know what next month will look like we don't know what next year will look like but we do know the one who does know and we do know in the end he gets the last word yeah. And we know he wins every battle against chaos. Good. So that's what, you know, so it's a freeing thing to go lose the formula of your life yeah. and step into the unknown with God in freedom. Hey, if somebody wants to get in touch with you and uh, follow more of your work, how do they reach you guys? Best way is either through my website with Alan, W-I-T-H-A-L-L-E-N.com. I have a lot of videos. I have a teaching series. They're all free. And it's all had a, it's a roadmap for pursuing your dreams with God. Good. And then my books, Chaos Can't and the Story of With are on Amazon. And um, I just invite people to start somewhere. If, if what we're saying resonates with them, William, my prayer is they will begin on one of those avenues because doing things the same way will result in the same results. Yeah. And if you want to be chaos free, you've got to be proactive and step into it in fresh ways with God. Yeah, good stuff, Alan. Thank you for joining me today. Hey guys, uh, let me remind you, and I'm gonna take a quote from Alan's book on page 249 or 248. You gotta get the book. We ask God for a plan because information is our goal. God invites us into a dance because intimacy is his goal. I don't know if you've ever um, had the opportunity of having your little child with their feet on top of your feet mm -hmm. and you were leading the dance. Well, I think that's what the creator wants to do today, and he wants to do it with each and every one of us. So as you go back and reflect on listening to this episode today, be reminded you are made for more. You can make an impact in the chaos of the world instead of letting the chaos rule you. Until next time, thank you for joining us on Servecast, and have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to Servecast with Dr. William Lamb. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Servecast to stay updated on special guests and future episodes.